0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Bruce McCullough is a Canadian actor, writer, and director best known as one of the kids in the hall. They came back in a big way in 2022. Their sixth season of sketch comedy premiered May 13th on Amazon Prime Video, with a documentary about them kids in the hall comedy punks out the following week. As a solo act, McCullough has written a book, Let's Start a Riot, released two albums, Shame-Based Man and The Drunk Baby Project, and created the sitcom Carpoolers for ABC. He's also directed movies such as Superstar and Stealing Harvard, as well as shows such as Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Schitt's Creek, and Trailer Park Boys. And he shepherded a new Canadian sketch comedy group, Tall Boys, to TV on CBC and Fuse. McCall's latest one-man show, Tales of Bravery and Stupidity, will make its off-Broadway debut in June 2022 at Soho Playhouse. McCall invited me to his hotel room to talk about the makings of The Kids in the Hall and his perspective on it all. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at p i f f a n y dot dot com. So you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. So, Bruce McCullough, thank you so much for inviting me over to your room in your pajamas.
1: Yes, I'm in my pajamas in the glamorous Essex house. I'm going to set the scene for the listeners. There's only three of you. Um, And I'm wearing white slippers, tartan pajamas, and I have a coffee in my hand. And then the first question I have for you is why are podcasts usually so long? That's a very good question. I was on one yesterday that was 90 minutes. And it what? Was, it was like a stand-up going, okay, what else, what else, what else, what else on my mind? But I know this is nice and concise. Yes. And it's why I was rabid to do this.
0: <laughs> so last things first, Bruce. Uh, I saw you and your fellow kids on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon last night. Mm-hmm. What didn't you get to say on the show that you wish you could have since you had to share your screen time? Yeah, I was sharing it with those four other effers. Um,
1: and not... You know, I mean, I think we said it. I mean, we're very excited to be back. I mean, I don't know if that was palpable watching us. Yes. But there is sort of a love flowing between us now that is like, what the hell? I'm, I'm falling in love with my wife again after four <coughs> years? Um, so, yeah, that we're just, we are just we have a, a love and a kindness right now that, that uh, overshadows our, our meanness and our
0: anger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose not only reuniting for season six. Are we calling it season six? Yes, we are. Uh, not only that, but also, you know, submitting yourselves to a documentary allows you so much time to process, much more than this half hour we're spending here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting with the doc because
1: um, w- w- I, was, I just interviewed. I wasn't – and, you know, the, the director sent us all a cut for notes. And I said, well, I have no notes. He said, amazing. You love it. I said, well, I didn't watch it. <laughs> um, but when I did finally <clears throat> watch it with – because I wanted – I didn't want my handprints on – Somebody else that 's his story that 's his art, and so when I finally saw it in South by Southwest uh, with the premiere with the guys, it was really sweet and to watch footage i 'd never seen before of me in Calgary in one thousand nine hundred and eighty three and all kinds of stuff
0: and mark and it it, it it was it was very nice that was something that really fascinated and startled me in fact was seeing how much footage there was of you and Mark in calgary of uh Dave and Kevin in Toronto from 1981, 82. I mean, people now record everything on their phones. Right. But the idea that you would have so much footage of yourselves in the early 80s. I know. It's crazy. And Paul Bellini, who is
1: the man in towel, as we call him. We're doing a um, paint Bellini contest for our show. Mm -hmm. Um, And who's one of our best friends and Scott's best friend is the secret weapon of the kids in the hall. I mean, he was a great writer for us. And he, he's the Andy Warhol. He filmed all that stuff. He just always had his camera. And, you know, they, didn't, they cut out the stuff where I said, fuck off, Paul, quit show, point, pointing that camera at me. Mm-hmm. But he had all that footage, and he documented us. For whatever reason, and Scott... For years and years, so they they secured his footage for the doc, and it, uh, that's p- probably the, the the amazing thing about it. What about
0: the stuff from Calgary,
1: though? Because that was that predated Paul. I have no idea. I guess Loose Moose somebody had a camera. I mean, these are serious journalists who went like you. You you just you, you didn't even know my name before you knocked on the door. But <laughs> these they really researched, mm-hmm. and somehow they they were at my house for like nine hours, going, "Who's in this picture? I want to know everything about this. Just get out of here." Um, but somehow they got it.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I got I started getting involved professionally with comedy in 1996. So I obviously have feelings about Brain Candy and about right. Kids in the Hall. Um, but even then in Seattle, there were maybe two or three stand ups who would film their sets, but it was such a rarity yeah. at the time. So well, they,
1: because who wants to look at that?
0: Exactly. Like
1: when I started doing stand up in actually in eighty. Four or five, I would record it sometimes. Yeah, and then listening back was really gruesome, and it's like, no, let's not do that.
0: Right, I could imagine bringing a, a cassette recorder and recording the audio, but to but, but you're set up a set, set up a tripod. Yeah, and oh my god,
1: you're forgetting the detail though that Scott's a narcissist. so <laughs> the fact that just like watching himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tidbit. I remember we had when we had tour, we had a, a great bus driver, a really cool guy, and he tell us that. Um, Aerosmith, mm-hmm. would tape their concert every night. He drove Aerosmith. And they would sit there, stone-faced, and watch the entire show
0: on the bus every night after the show. And I thought,
1: that's not the way to tour.
0: They must have learned that from Lauren. I, maybe. Maybe. Another fascinating detail that comes out in the doc is that the four of you and then the five of you Spent a solid year and a half, maybe two years at the Rivoli, a space that you eventually fit four hundred people in. Right, but you talked about performing for a handful of people for the first year and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean the the interesting part was, and a young man is so restless. Maybe an old man's restless too. But um, you know, when we were in Calgary, we we got success really quickly. Mark and I we started a thing called late night comedy. We started writing sketches. I had the Daves I know and stuff like that even then, and. They were lined up around the block in Calgary right away. So when we came back to Toronto, we thought that would happen, and it didn't. And that was a good lesson. We just <laughs> had to keep going and going and going. And, yeah, I don't even know. We were like people banging our instruments, and there's nobody there, but we don't care, sort of.
0: How how did you persevere through that that period between starting to do shows at the Rivoli up until you get that phone call from Lauren's assistant? Right.
1: Well, I think, <clears throat> I think we were too scared to say to each other, "Hey, this might not be working, this may not be working," and every so often you have you get a good comic idea, and a good comic idea, is like a warm egg in your brain, or it's like sex. It's just like it can keep you going for a long, long time, and I think we just didn't know any better. I mean, I worked at Canada Dry in the warehouse for for a couple of years when I was young. It's like. No, I want to go back to that warehouse? I don't right. think so. So it was, we had, you know, like all the people that I re- love to read about, you know, Patti Smith or whoever, they're just, they got no other choice.
0: But there's, it's, it's got to be such a surreal moment for the people who break through where you have that job, whether it's Canada Dry Warehouse or a mail room or wherever you're working. And you know you've got something, but when you try to explain it to your coworkers, they're like, I, I don't see it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, and no one wants to be the funniest guy in the warehouse, which I was until I started <laughs> comedy, um, but a lot of us have something, mm-hmm. and it never is going to look like the path you think it is, unless you're, you want to be a doctor or something that's a very logical path, or a YouTuber, whatever, whatever the fuck that is, but it's, uh, you just have to keep going, and, and the world will figure it out for you, 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 you don't have to figure it out for yourself, it, all the things you've done will make sense at some point.
0: Did that hold true with directing
1: for you? No, well, no. Directing was more cynical because I, I watched the show and I thought there's four really funny guys and then there's one little guy with a real wobbly head who won't stop moving his hands mm-hmm. and he's not so good. and But so he's I, wobbly. and I'm, I'm, Everybody loves a bobblehead Bruce. Um, but I thought, what am I going to do after this? Mm-hmm. And I've always been the obsessive one. It's sort of documented in the documentary. Um, the details. It's like those extras don't look right change her sweater the music's wrong uh we're on that close-up too short like and so directing was a logical thing and um so i picked a skill you know as my my drunk uh stepmom told me to forget it be a welder um i picked a skill which was directing um but and i I have a love-hate relationship with it um i you know i had a couple i had a a film with tom green that was kind of tough because it didn't didn't perform and it was just
0: stealing Harvard
1: yeah but it's like but now now I love it now I've, I've done it with tall boys and um Schitt's Creek and things like that it's like oh
0: I like directing yeah do you do you feel more comfortable behind the camera than in front of it
1: oh without question without question and, and it's not even a function of my age um 61 years old um that was my cabin and I did my finger too um <laughs> uh yeah no I don't I don't love I've been in the odd thing Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, like, Scott's in something now. He's, like, so happy. He's doing a show with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, and he's rabid to be on set. <laughs> I, I don't want to be in hair and makeup. I'd rather be going, okay, one more. Quicker.
0: <laughs> you.
1: He's, uh, just for the listeners at home, And the three of you, there's probably two now. Mm-hmm. He is texting his mistress constantly <laughs> during this interview, which seems
0: rather well, I have lots of questions in little time, mm-hmm. so I want to make sure I get yes, of course. everything I, of in. Course. <laughs> so, you know, I mentioned Brain Candy because I started getting involved in improv in 96. And I remember watching it in the movie theater in Seattle near the University of Washington. And I I was in love with it then and remained so. And I think it even... Holds up even better since you did it before the opioid epidemic. Right. Was it, how, how, because you, you know, you talk, all, you guys talk a lot about it in the documentary and then you directly reference it in the new season. Right. How, how, how has your opinion of it changed over the years?
1: Well, you know, I think brain candy is a pretty good, weird, you know, my wife says everything we touch turns to cult. And it is the prime example of that. I think it is the product of a very dark time for us. The show was over. Scott's brother had killed himself. Kevin's Mm. marriage was breaking up. And, and, and. And we were on the outs with Dave. So it just feels, the footage just feels feels dark to me Mm. because there was not a lot of joy in the bellies of the boys performing. I think the fact that we could revisit it because we've done a few staged readings of it that audiences really like and we do music and stuff. The fact that we could revisit it meant we had healed, sort of, our greatest failure. And the, you know, the documentary on is excellent. The the thing it didn't seem to have time for was, part of that was because of Cancer Boy, because mm. I muscled Cancer Boy into that movie against all odds, and they withdrew all their um, advertising revenue. Oh wow! I don't know if it would have performed better, but that was that was us, and you know, at, as the Docs called Com- comedy punks. That is the example of saying, "No." And of course, I famously said to the person I was talking on the phone to for two hours to keep cancer in the film. I said, "It's important because my mum died of cancer." And of course, my mum's still alive.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so death has not come to town. Death has not come to town. Well, it, well, it almost did because Scott had cancer doing that. But, right? Um, no, we're no. My mum's my had seven heart attacks, but she just. She just keeps going. I think she likes riding the ambulance is why she has those heart attacks.
0: Did, you, did any of you go back and watch Brain Candy as part of the documentary or as part of re-referencing it this season?
1: No, I, I don't. I, maybe Scott. Um, you know, I have teenage children. They've never watched it. I, I, I've only watched it. No, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it in many, many years. Hmm. Maybe I will.
0: Yeah. But no, I don't want to watch myself. You also have your own uh, one-man show that you're doing in June of 2022 here in New York at Soho Playhouse. Thank you. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, uh, it's
1: you're the one doing yeah, the show, yeah, so thank well, you. I a lot of work, but I love it. It's called Tales of Bravery and Stupidity.
0: Now, I know, you know, I watched... Kevin did a, his own show in 2019, and he did it across the street from the West Bank. Right. I think for... S- Sentimental reasons? I have no idea. I don't no, know. No, probably they booked him. Yeah. <laughs> it's the
1: only place that would have him.
0: Anyways. And Scott tried to do a show that Paul co-wrote with him in 2001 that was supposed to do off-Broadway here, but it was September of 2001, so it got canceled. Yes. He put up his posters before September
1: 11th. His show was supposed to uh, open September 12th. <laughs> And uh, he had all these posters with him with, uh, I think I can say semen on his face was his thing, the lowest show in the world. He he thinks that was the tragedy. I mean, the Twin Towers was a tragedy, but Mm -hmm. he thinks my show didn't get to open. But I've listen, I've come to do what those gentlemen could not do, come with dignity and respect and lay it down for the good people of New York.
0: Well, I guess my question is, did did you learn anything from from their shows that, that helped you decide, okay, this is the time this is this is what i want to do and this is how i want to tell my side of the stories uh,
1: yes and no i mean when i one of the reasons i i signed on to do the kids in the hall series i had seen scott's show and i thought it was so effing brilliant that that man needed to be back in culture in a different way again um but for me i've always done one person shows sometimes with the guitars from the shadowy man and, and this time i'm just using his music um but it's, no, it just worked out perfectly because of the time we've been through and sort of the uh, gurgling underbelly of my work has always been, which people don't quite sometimes understand, has been a kind of a crazy humanity that I have for people. And I think we've been through a time that has been, of course, they say unprecedented, it's a boring word now, a horrific catastrophe for every person. And I think there's something about that that makes me, and I've been doing, I've you know, doing the show in Toronto makes me want to reach out to people and be super funny and talk about dark humor and gallows humor, getting us through and stuff. But it just feels like a really good time in my life to just be able to commune with an audience.
0: How important is
1: it that you're doing it now? Then I think it's. Uh, I think it could only be now. I mean, the show you can only do the day you're doing it, and you always change your material to reflect what you're feeling, what you're going through. And uh, I think now it just keeps shutting up and opening. You know, I did some shows in Western Canada in November. It was the first time things opened up. And people were crying. And not just crying because my show maybe has a, a couple of grace notes in it, but because they were just so happy to be out and be with each other, which is kind of the message of my show. So are you still... Do you still
0: have close ties to Alberta? Uh,
1: yeah, my, my sister's there. My mom is there having heart attacks every uh, fortnight, as mm-hmm. we, which, as you know, is two weeks. Um, yeah, and I have great friends there. I was just back there to see some theater. I have great friends who run a theater there. Um, but I don't, I don't own, own raw land or anything.
0: <laughs> Is the Loose Moose still there? Yeah, still going. Yeah, Theater sports? Well, yeah, still at it, yeah. That, I, didn't, I didn't know that about four, four of the five of you started in theater
1: sports. I didn't. Yeah, and here's the great thing that's not been told of theater sports. We had done a show there called Late Night Comedy after the, the theater sports. And we'd done it for quite some time, and it was successful, and I think they charged $4 or $5. And then when we left, and no one ever got paid to do theater sports, when we left, they gave us each $4,000, because they had saved up the money that we had made during that entire run to give us, because they, they knew we'd eventually be leaving. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing. That's, and, and we, that oh, sounds very Canadian. I know, and we surfed on that money. Oh my God, that was so important in our first,
0: you know, shitty apartments. mm mm-hmm. How how close were you to ever adding an official sixth member? I know you talked about like Paul being the the Andy Warhol secret sauce, but then you know Mike Myers talks ad nauseum about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love you said ad nauseum.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then his brother wrote the you know wrote the book. Well,
1: there was there was only us for each other. Like I know a threeples three. What's a five way marriage? It couldn't. uh, quint, octo, no octo. Quint. quint. Yeah, we're we're quint. We're a five person marriage, mm-hmm. and that's. Uh, if you Menage a to,
0: quint. <laughs> yeah, we are
1: only each other, mm-hmm. only for each other, and also, again, the, one of the secrets of the truth is that Scott forced his way in like a rabid animal, and completed us. We hadn't, we weren't complete, and we didn't know we were complete until we got him. It's weird though and that you say that because. Even yesterday, as we were leaving the Tonight Show, Mark said, oh, w- w- we're still waiting for one. He's like, oh, no, it's all of us. And we're always sometimes thinking that there's some other person we have to take with us. Mm-hmm. When we even eat in the cars or go to, go to <laughs> the dinner. But, no, it was just only us. Only we could stand each other, <laughs> I think. There were some, some really great, kind souls, like Gary Campbell, who's our, who's our head writer on this show. We were just too we're too much of animals for him
0: oh yeah that reminds me i saw in the credits for the for season six that there's some names that i recognize like julie klausner or jen kirkman julie klausner i
1: said her name wrong last night i almost got slapped i called her klausner she says it's klausner um <clears throat> yes and jen goodhue who's sort of my right hand person who mm-hmm. was on my right hand person on tall boys and uh baroness von sketch show oh yeah jen, also you know? there and and a couple other great great writers yeah
0: what did what did they bring to the to the season that
1: well they just help and uh, you know it really it seems like I've been given given talking points but it is really great to have well you
0: have your own phone that you're yeah, reading off of so. uh, other points of view mm-hmm.
1: and to have we had Laura Silovitz who's my young favorite sketch comedian in Toronto it's great to just have other people's ideas and voices and sketch comedy is so hard and you need so much material and then you know like the piece that was on the Tonight Show last night, 60 and on the pole that I wrote, it's like go write me ten jokes about 60 and on the pole, you know. And then it's great to have helpers in a way, and to 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 do this. And it, it's fun. It's fun to have other people to bounce things off of, and they take it away or you take it away.
0: Speaking of, of other younger people, how did you decide to get involved in teaching comedy at, at Humber College?
1: Well, they, it's like all great things. Mm. It was just kind of by accident. They mm-hmm. asked me, and I said, okay. And then I went, and um, I enjoyed it. And it was so I didn't know I would like talking to young minds so much. I was scared
0: of the youth a little bit, but there was. Don't you think they were also scared of you being? Uh, yes, and kids no. in Toronto who.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure one third of that class didn't know who I was. <laughs> As time has rolled on, but and they're they're all fighting their own wars. You know, every person, mm-hmm. and so whether. One of the kids in the hall, or Bruce, is here. I don't think matters. And of course, I was trying to meet them where they were and give them stagecraft and write, figure out how to write scenes and have them not be scared. And my God, it's so hard for people to find their voice. I don't know how they can. And it's just, it's if I could help in any way, I found really, I found that really
0: wonderful. Well, I think the secret is they need a year and a half performing to twenty people in a bar. I think so. And where no one's where no one's. Putting pressure on them or discovering them. Well, and they're so you can discover yourselves, getting, right?
1: Of course, and it's the ten thousand hours thing. Yeah, and then the show I did, which is now Unfuse, um, the Tall Boys. Uh, one of them was in this one of the classes I taught. Vance Banzo, my my great Albertan Co Albertan friend, and I thought, oh my god, he's so funny. And I brought him into a writer's room, and then somebody said, he's got a troupe, you know. And so I saw Tall Boys, and they blew me away, and. I said, we should do a sketch comedy show. And they said, well, we only have eight sketches. <laughs> and, I, and I said, oh, you've got to write some more then. And they said they write all their sketches through improv. And I said, well, that takes too long. You're just going to have to write them. And, but that's, yeah. And I, I was worried, like, oh my God, are they ready? Like, cause I know we, were, we had been at it, the kids in the hall, like maybe, I was at it hard for like seven or eight, no, nine, yeah, seven years before we were on TV. Right. It's like, oh, but they were natural. Right, because so they
0: were on TV within a
1: year and a half. Exactly. <laughs> and, and stage and TV are so different. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are adjacent. Well, what do you think was the
0: most important advice
1: you had to give to them? Um, I think the thing I never knew, which, which a director once said to me, is like, you've got to know your stuff. And I said to them, you're like astronauts. We're going to be in this rehearsal room, and we rehearse forever. I put down tape marks and p- had cameras come in just so they would think, like, there's your eyeline, there's your thing. Um, you're an astronaut. You're preparing to go to space. So when you get there, you're not going to go. You know what you're doing, and then it's fun. And so they knew their stuff, and they're, they're kind, kind men. But they knew their stuff. And we could shoot fast. We could shoot out of order. All kinds of stuff. And then st- stuff came out. We go, hey, we need an ending here. We knew our stuff, so we could just go, okay, what's the ending? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we never knew, or certainly I never knew. In the kids in the halls, like, you've got to kind of know your
0: words. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just wing it. No, you can't just. Oh, oh. No. Sometimes you can. Well, Chicken Lady can wing it. Yeah, well, she, she can say, yeah, Mark, because he has wings. That. No, I just is oh, a chicken. It. He's making a chicken joke. Yeah, sorry.
1: I, I, I'm, I'm
0: such a fool for trying to make jokes.
1: That's okay. Um, you're not a dad, but you're making dad jokes. I love that.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, I love that you could tell that I'm not a dad. <laughs> like, well, I clearly carry myself as someone who is not. Uh, tried to raise his yeah, own children. Well, he,
1: folks, he's wearing a Guar t shirt, so he's <laughs> clearly not a father.
0: <laughs> I love that you chose Guar because you mentioned Guar in the documentary also.
1: Well, it's just such a pleasing word on the mouth, Guar. Guar. And they're such a great band.
0: Uh, before I turn the microphones on, you asked me about, like, what's my band? Was Guar your band? Uh, no. The Buzzcocks
1: was my band. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think they're from Jersey. The Feelys were my band. Okay. Um, oh, there's so many. The New York Dolls, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, um, and of course, as a young man, The Who. Ooh. Yeah, but that that was important to launch me out of Calgary into Toronto. And truthfully, I moved to Toronto, you know, so I could see the Cramps. I didn't care uh. that the kids in the hall were going <laughs> to make it in comedy. I just wanted to see, you know, the Viletones or whatever band I wanted to see. And they weren't coming to Calgary. Knew they weren't coming to Calgary.
0: Mm. You know, I've had the pleasure of, of seeing the five of you perform at a couple different festivals over the years. 2008 at the Comedy Festival in Las Vegas, 2014 in Austin at Moon Tower. Is it, is it intentional that you, you try to get everybody together every four years or so? Kind of like the Olympics, maybe? And oh, oh, that's a good way of looking at
1: it. Well, no, it's, it's weird. We gather like weather, and I shouldn't tell... Tales out of school, but we all want to. tour. Mark, Mark is more reluctant sometimes because he has a more complicated relationship with, with moving around the world mm-hmm. and being in hotels and meeting people. Well, he's a diplomat. He's a diplomat and a, and a weirdo. Mm-hmm. We, it's the fun that we get to have. Like Filming is kind of fun, but it's really the fun. To go knock down Portland then know that you're going to Seattle the next night is the fun. And we didn't know that the show had hit really until we started performing out of town. Remember, we went to Detroit did seven nights in this 500 seat theater why are we doing seven nights people rush the stage the first show it's like okay now what do we do (laughs) and so we get to realize we get to commune with the people that we never met and that i was afraid of as a young man and that i now kind of love and so you know hopefully we'll do it again but we have no no concrete plans
0: as for you you do have some concrete plans you know we mentioned the your one-man show.
1: Yeah, I'm into performing. You know, in the, in the belly of my show is uh, Sanders on uh, the death of a very good friend called Gore Downey, who was in a band called The Tragically Hip, which mm. Canadians know, Americans may not know. And he died of brain cancer a few years back. And part of my response to that was, A, I wanted to be back in Canada, which I did move back to Canada. And B, I wanted to keep doing it. I'm a blues musician. You know, when I saw Mavis Staples, she was seventy-eight years old. She said, "There's CDs for sale in the lobby," and I want <laughs> pushing merch. And I want to do that. Like sometimes I play a big place. This mm-hmm. is kind of a medium, a smaller place. I just want to do it because I can still, you know. And I'm, still pretty good. Like I'm not, I'm not coming out in a, you know,
0: on a rascal. I'm, <laughs>
1: I'm laying it down.
0: No, you mentioned Gord Downey's death, and I, I even though I'm an American, so I'm not hip to the tragically hip, as much as Canadians are. I do remember that Justin Trudeau like held a huge, there was a huge concert well, they, that, they, like they had their tribute. last
1: concert in Kingston, Ontario, which is mm-hmm. where they're from. And I think 8 million people watched it on TV. On yeah. CBC. Like, it was. And so, I, my show, you know, you don't have no gore to know to, to my show. It's, it's Sanders on my show, and the, the emails we sent each other in the middle of the night around his uh, death, or before his death, obviously, and just us talking to each other. And um, it's it's kind of nice, um, but yeah, it was. Canada was in grief for a couple of years because they lost. And he wasn't just a great guy. He you know he was his First Nations causes were just so unbelievable. Um, and I still work with a charity that he he founded because he was like one of the first you know woke white men uh, t- to march through Canada.
0: Well, it's pretty woke to do a podcast in your pajamas. So
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I will say, though, I did a costume change in the middle when he was fiddling with his phone, and
0: I, I'm now wearing a seersucker suit. And the fact that you would do that for me is, is tremendous. I feel like I don't deserve it, but... I, mean, I think I did it for the one listener that's left. <laughs> well, you, you know who you are, Brad. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you so much for listening. And Bruce, thank you so much for, for joining well, thank me. Thank you. I love you, Bradley. This episode of The Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazel at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Gigglechick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening.